Part One, Chapter Twenty Six of War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy, translated by Nathan Haskell Doyle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. The next evening, Prince Andrei was about to take his departure. The old prince, not making any change in his routine, had gone to his room immediately after dinner. The young wife was with the Princess Maria. Prince Andrei, having put on a travelling coat without epaulets, was engaged in his room, with his valet, in packing up. He himself had personally looked after the carriage, and the arrangements of his luggage, and ordered the horses to be put in. In the chamber remained only those things which Prince Andrei always took with him, his dressing-case, a huge silver bottle-holder, two Turkish pistols, and a sabre which his father had captured at Okchakov and presented to him. All these appurtenances had been put in the most perfect order. All were bright and clean, in woolen bags, carefully strapped. If men are ever inclined to think about their actions, the moment when they are about to go away and enter upon some new course of life is certain to induce a serious frame of mind. Generally at such moments the past comes up for review and plans are made for the future. Prince Andrei's face was very thoughtful and tender. With his hands behind his back, he was walking briskly, from corner to corner, up and down the room, with his eyes fixed and occasionally shaking his head. Was it terrible for him to be going to the war, or was he a little saddened at the thought of leaving his wife? Perhaps there was a trifle of each feeling. However, hearing steps in the entry, and evidently not wishing to be seen in any such state, he hurriedly dropped his hands and paused by the table, as though engaged in fastening the cover of his dressing-case, and his face became, as usual, serene and impenetrable. The steps he heard were those of the Princess Maria. "'I was told that you had ordered the horses put in,' said she, panting, she had evidently been running, "'and I did so want to have a little talk with you, all alone. God knows how long it will be before we see each other again. You are not angry with me for coming?' "'You have changed very much, Andrusha,' she added, as though an explanation of such a question. She smiled as she called him by the pet diminutive, Andrusha. Evidently, it was strange for her to think that this stern, handsome man was the same Andrusha, the slender, frolicsome lad who had been the playmate of her childhood. "'Where's Lise?' he asked, merely replying to her question with a smile. "'She was so tired that she fell asleep on the sofa in my room.' "'Oh, André, what a treasure of a wife you have,' she said, as she sat down on the sofa, facing her brother. "'She's a perfect child, such a sweet, merry-hearted child. I have learned to love her dearly.' Prince André made no reply, but the princess noticed the ironical and scornful expression which her words called forth on his face. "'But you must be indulgent to her little weaknesses. Who is there that is without them, André?' You must not forget that she was educated and brought up in society, and besides, her position is now not all roses. We ought always to put ourselves in the place of another. To understand is to forgive. Just think how hard it is on the poor little woman, after the gay life to which she is accustomed, to be parted from her husband, and to be left alone in the country, and in her condition. It is very hard. Prince Andrei smiled and looked at his sister as we smile when we look at people whose motives are perfectly transparent to us. You live in the country, and don't find this life so horrible, do you? I? 
But that's another thing. Why should you speak about me? I have no desire for any other life, because I have never known any other life. But you think, André, what it is for a healthy young woman to be buried for the best years of her life in the country, alone, too, for Papenka is always busy, and I, you know what poor company I am for a woman who has been accustomed to the best society. There is only Mademoiselle Burine. Your Burine does not please me very much, said Prince André. Oh, how can you say so? She is very kind and good, and, what is more, is greatly to be pitied. She has no one, no one at all. To tell you the truth, she is not at all necessary, but if anything she's in my way. You know that I have always been somewhat a misanthrope, and now more than ever I love to be alone. Mon père is very fond of her. She and Mikhail Ivanitch are two people for, to whom he is always polite and kind, because both of them are under obligations to him. As Stern says, we do not love men so much for the good that they do us, as for the good that we do them. Mon père took her in as an orphan from the street, and she is very good, and mon père loves her way of reading. She always reads aloud to him in the evening. She reads beautifully. Now tell the truth, Marie. I am afraid my father's temper must be very trying to you sometimes. Isn't it so? suddenly demanded Prince André. The Princess Maria was at first dumbfounded, then terrified at this question. To me? Me? Trying? she stammered. He has always been harsh, but now he has become desperately trying, I should think, said Prince André, speaking lightly of his father, apparently, for the sake of perplexing or testing his sister. You're good to everyone, André, but you have such pride of intellect, said the princess, following the trend of her own thoughts rather than the course of the conversation. All that is a great sin. Have we any right to judge our father? And even if we had, what other feeling besides veneration could such a man as mon père inspire? I am so happy and content to live with him. I only wish that all were as happy as I am. Her brother shook his head incredulously. There is only one thing that is hard for me, I will tell you the truth about it, André. It is father's ways of thinking of religious things. I cannot understand how a man with such a tremendous intellect can fail to see what is as clear as day, and can go so far astray. This is the one thing that makes me unhappy. But even in this I have noticed lately a shade of improvement. Lately his sarcasms have not been quite so pronounced, and there is a monk whom he has allowed to come in and have a long talk with him. "'Well, my dear, I am afraid that you and the monk wasted your powder,' said Prince André, in a jesting but affectionate way. "'Ah, mon ami, all I can do is to pray to God and hope that he will hear me. "'André,' she said timidly, after a moment's silence, "'I have one great favour to ask of you.' "'What is that, my dear?' "'Promise me that you will not refuse me. "'It won't be any trouble to you at all.' and nothing unworthy of you in doing it, but it will be a great comfort to me. Promise me, Andrushka, said she, thrusting her hand into her reticule and holding something in it, but not yet showing it, as though what she held constituted the object of her request, and she were unwilling to take this something from the reticule until she were assured of his promise to do what she desired. She looked at her brother with a timid, beseeching glance. Even if it required great trouble, I would— replied Prince André, 
evidently foreseeing what the request was. "'Think whatever you please. I know you are exactly like mon père. Think whatever you please, but do this for my sake. Please do. My father's father, our grandfather, wore it in all his battles.' Not even now did she take from the reticule what she held in her hand. "'So, will you promise me?' "'But what is it?' "'Andre, I give you this little picture with my blessing, and you must promise me that you will never take it off. Will you promise?' "'If it does not weigh two poots, and won't break my neck, I will do it if it will give you any pleasure.' But at that instant, noticing the pained expression which passed over his sister's face at this jest, he regretted it. "'With pleasure, really with pleasure, my dear,' he added. "'He will save and pardon you in spite of your hardness of heart, "'and he will bring you to himself, because in him alone is truth and peace,' "'said she, in a voice trembling with emotion, "'and with a gesture of solemnity held up before her brother "'an ancient oval medallion of the Saviour, "'with a black face in a silver frame, "'attached to a silver chain of delicate workmanship. "'She made a sign of the cross,' kissed the medallion, and held it out to André. "'Please, André, for my sake.' Her large eyes were kindled by the rays of a soft and kindly light, which transfigured her thin, sickly face and made it beautiful. Her brother was about to take the medallion, but she stopped him. He understood what she meant, and crossed himself, and kissed the image. His face was both tender, for he was touched, and, at the same time, ironical. "'Thanks, my dear.' She kissed him on the brow, and again sat down on the sofa. Both were silent. "'As I was saying to you, André, be kind and magnanimous, as you always used to be. Don't judge Lise harshly,' she began after a little. "'She is so sweet, so good, and her position is very hard just now.' "'Why, Masha, I have not said that I found any fault with my wife, or have been vexed with her.' Why do you say such things to me? The Princess Maria flushed, and she was silent as though she felt guilty. I have not said anything to you, but someone has been talking to you, and I am sorry for that. The red patches flamed still more noticeably on the Princess Maria's forehead, neck, and cheeks. She tried to say something, but speech failed her. Her brother had guessed right. His little wife after dinner had wept, and confessed her forebodings about the birth of her baby and how she dreaded it, and poured out her complaints against her father-in-law and her husband. And after she had cried, she fell asleep. Prince Andrei was sorry for his sister. "'I wish you to know this, Masha, that I find no fault with my wife. I never have found fault with her, and never shall, and there is nothing for which I can reproach myself. And this shall always be so, no matter in what circumstances I find myself. But if you wish to know the truth, if you wish to know whether I am happy, I tell you, no. Is she happy? No. Why is it? I don't know. As he said this, he got up, went over to his sister, and bending down, kissed her on the forehead. His handsome eyes showed an unwanted gleam of sentiment and kindliness, though he looked not at his sister, but over her head at the dark opening of the door. Let us go to her. It is time to say good-bye. Or rather, you go ahead and wake her, and I will follow you. Petrushka, he called to the valet, come here. Pick up those things. This goes under the seat, this at the right. The Princess Maria got up and directed her steps toward the door. 
Then she paused. Andre, said she in French, if you had faith, you would have implored God to give you the love which you do not feel, and your prayers would have been heard. Yes, perhaps so, said Prince Andre. Go on, Masha. I will follow immediately. On the way to his sister's room, in the gallery which connected one part of the house with the other, Prince Andre met the sweetly smiling Mademoiselle Bourine. It was the third time that she had crossed his path that day in the corridor, and with the same enthusiastic and naive smile. Ah, I thought you were in your own room, said she, blushing a little and dropping her eyes. Prince Andre looked at her sternly. His face suddenly grew wrathful. He gave her no answer, but looked at her with such a scornful expression that the little Frenchwoman flushed scarlet and turned away without another word. When he reached his sister's room, the princess, his wife, was already awake, and her blithe voice was heard through the open door. She was chattering as fast as her tongue would let her, as though she were anxious to make up for lost time after long repression. No, Marie, but just imagine the old Countess Zubova, with her false curls and a mouthful of fake teeth, as though she were trying to cheat old age. <laughs> Prince Andre had heard his wife get off exactly the same phrase about the Countess Zubova, and the same joke, at least five times. He went quietly into the room. The princess, plump and rosy, was sitting in an easy chair, with her work in her hands, and was talking an incessant stream, repeating her Petersburg reminiscences, and even the familiar Petersburg phrases. Prince Andrei went up to her, smoothed her hair, and asked if she felt rested. She answered him, and went on with her story. A coach with a six in hand was waiting at the front entrance. It was a dark autumn night. The coachman could not see the pole of the carriage. Men with lanterns were standing on the doorsteps. The great mansion was alive with lights, shining through the lofty windows. The domestics were gathered in the entry to say good-bye to the young prince. All the household were collected in the hall. Mikhail Ivanovitch, Mademoiselle Berline, the Princess Maria, and her sister-in-law. Prince Andrei had been summoned to his father's cabinet, where the old prince wanted to bid him good-bye privately. All were waiting for their coming. When Prince Andrei went into the cabinet, the old prince, with spectacles on his nose and in his white dressing-gown, in which he never received any one except his son, was sitting at the table and writing. He looked around. "'Are you off?' And he went on with his writing. "'I have come to bid you good-bye. "'Kiss me here,' he indicated his cheek. "'Thank you, thank you.' "'Why do you thank me?' "'Because you don't dilly-dally, "'because you don't hang on to your wife's petticoats. "'Service before all. "'Thank you, thank you.' and he went on with his writing so vigorously that the ink flew from his sputtering pen. "'If you have anything to say, speak. I can attend to these two things at once,' he added. "'About my wife. I am so sorry to be obliged to leave her on your hands. "'What nonsense is that? Tell me what you want.' "'When it is time for my wife to be confined, send to Moscow for an accoucheur. Get him here.' The old prince paused and pretending not to understand, fixed his eyes on his son. "'I know that no one can help if nature does not do her work,' said Prince Andre, evidently confused. "'I am aware that out of millions of cases only one goes amiss. But this is her whim and mine. They have been talking to her. She had a dream, and she is afraid.' "'Hm, hm,' growled the old prince, 
taking up his pen again. I will do so. He wrote a few more lines, suddenly turned upon his son, and said with a sneer, Bad business, eh? What is bad, Batushka? Wife, said the old prince, with laconic significance. I don't understand you, said Prince Andrei. Well, there's nothing to be done about it, my young friend, said the prince. They're all alike. There's no way of getting unmarried. Don't be disturbed. I won't tell anyone, but you know tis so. He seized his son's hand in his small, bony fingers and shook it, looking him straight in the face with his keen eyes, which seemed to look through a man, and then once more laughed his cold laugh. The son sighed, thereby signifying that his father read him correctly. The old man continued to fold and seal his letters with his usual rapidity, and when he had finished he caught up and put away the wax, the seal, and the paper. "'What can you do? She's a beauty.' I will see that everything is done. Be easy on that score, said he, abruptly, as he sealed the last letter. André made no reply. It was both pleasant and disagreeable to have his father understand him so well. The old man stood up and handed a letter to his son. Listen, said he, don't worry about your wife. Whatever can be done, shall be done. Now listen, give this letter to Mikhail Ilarionovitch, I have written him to employ you in the good places, and not keep you too long as adjutant. It's a nasty position. Tell him I remember him with affection, and write me how he receives you. If all goes well, stay and serve him. Nikolai Andreitch Volkonsky's son must not serve anyone from mere favoritism. Now, come here. He spoke so rapidly that he did not finish half his words, but his son understood him. He led him to a desk, threw back a lid, opened a little box and took out a notebook, written in his own large, angular, but close hand. I shall probably die before you do. Remember, these are my memoirs. They are to be given to the emperor after my death. Now, see here. Take this banknote and this letter. This is a prize for the one who shall write a history of the wars of Suvorov. Send it to the academy. Here are my remarks. After I am gone, you may read them you will find them worth your while. Andre did not tell his father that he would probably live a long time yet. He felt it was not necessary to say that. I will do it all, Petushka, said he. Well, then, good-bye. He offered him his hand to kiss, and then gave him an embrace. Remember one thing, Prince Andre. If you are killed, it will be hard for me to bear. I am an old man. He unexpectedly paused, and then as suddenly proceeded, in a tempestuous voice, But if I should hear that you have behaved unworthy of a son of Nikolai Bolkonsky, I should be ashamed, he hissed. You should not have said that to me, Batyushka, replied the son with a smile. The old man was silent. I have still another request to make of you, Prince Andrei went on to say. If I should be killed, and if a son should be born to me, don't let him go from you, as I was saying last evening. Let him grow up under your roof, please. Not let your wife have him, asked the old man, and tried to laugh. Both stood in silence for some moments, facing each other. The old man's keen eyes gazed straight into his son's. There was a slight tremor in the lower part of the old prince's face. We have said good-bye. Now go, said he suddenly. Go, 
he cried in a stern, loud voice, opening his cabinet door. "'What is it? What's the matter?' asked Prince Andrei's wife and sister, as the young man came out, and they caught a momentary glimpse of the old prince, in his white dressing-gown, and without his wig, and in his spectacles, as he appeared at the door, screaming at his son. Prince Andrei sighed, and made no answer. "'Well,' said he, turning to his wife, and this well, new, sounded chillingly sarcastic, as though he had said, "'Now begin your little comedy.' "'Andre, already?' said the little wife, turning pale, and fixing her terror-stricken eyes on her husband. He took her in his arms. She gave a cry, and fell fainting on his shoulder. He carefully disengaged himself of her form, looked into her face, and tenderly laid her in an armchair. "'Adieu, Marie,' said he, gently to his sister, kissed her hand, and hastened out of the room. The fainting princess lay in the chair. Mademoiselle Burine chafed her temples. The Princess Maria, holding her up, was still looking, with her lovely eyes dim with tears, at the door through which Prince Andrei had disappeared, and her blessing followed him. In the cabinet the old prince was heard repeatedly blowing his nose, with sharp, angry reports, like pistol-shots. Prince Andrei had hardly left the room when the cabinet door was hurriedly flung open, and the prince's stern figure appeared in the white dressing-gown. "'Has he gone?' he asked. "'Well, it is just as well,' said he. Then, looking angrily at the unconscious little princess, he shook his head reproachfully and clapped the door to after him. End of chapter 26 An end of part one of War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy